For as long as she can remember, Cassandra Lemoyne has been surrounded by music. Her earliest memories of home are underscored by the pop music and show tunes that her mother would play that filled Cassie's ears and soul and sparked her imagination. Inspired by the acclaimed Canadian tenor Benjamin Butterfield during a masterclass he delivered at her high school, she soon found herself in a classical music program at the University of Victoria, where much to her delight, everything was new. She delighted in the adventure of living in a kind of translation, not simply of language, as much as the classical opera repertoire demands, but of a complete newness of her experience of learning and of music. Sitting in a lecture hall or concert venue with classmates that appeared to her to have been immersed in classical music from infancy cast her in this intriguing and welcomed space of curiosity. Following graduation, she stretched her limbs and traveled to Europe, and shortly after attending the Salzburg Festival at the very zenith of the European opera world, Cassandra moved to Denmark, where she continued her studies at the Royal Danish Academy of Music, the Opera Academy, and the Royal Danish Opera, and has now established herself as a highly sought-after soprano with professional roles that have ranged from Mozart to Piccini, as well as Sondheim and Lloyd Webber, when she appeared as Christine Daae in a Danish production of The Phantom of Opera in 2018. My curiosity around this idea of living creatively in translation began as an offer of the image of a doorway. You know, as I enter into this conversation, um, I find myself drawn to the image of doors and doorways and how your career and life path um, has presented you with doors to be discovered, how you have unlocked and opened and passed through them. And in order to do so, how you've been invited to live and learn and come to love navigating in a kind of translation. And while you acknowledge growing up surrounded by music, which was always on in your home, you've described your mum uh, always making sure there was music around. You've also described your formal entry into the world of classical music as coming in the back door. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think... I mean, because the music that was always on and always playing was a little bit more uh, whatever was on the radio or what, you know, top 40s and, you know, kind of decades, hits of decades from the last hmm, 50 years. And mm. I somehow in my conscious musical consciousness, music before that time really didn't enter my consciousness until until much later. And I think uh, the only kind of other music I learned about was maybe musical and jazz through through going to school and, and studying it. But then I started to take voice lessons and found out that there was this whole other tradition for music making that that came from this continent of Europe, uh, which my dad came from. My dad is from Portugal. And so it, it, it intrigued me already from the banding because it had a kind of a tie to yeah this other world and history and um it just sounded completely different um and I always liked listening to film music which also is really inspired by classical music so I think just in kind of just gathering different interests finding out that oh there's oh there's a little bit more 
to this genre or a little bit oh that is actually the musical Rent is inspired by the opera La Boheme and the musical Miss Saigon is actually based off of Madame Butterfly like I it felt like I went backwards in terms of yeah ref yeah reference uh because I was interested in the backstory of all these things and so I would really already nerd out about all of the details about where these different shows and musical uh, traditions came from. And so I think in just my own research musically and you know, on the internet or what was the internet when I was that young, um, what, what I could find out uh, ended up being, yeah, so much deeper than I could comprehend. And so I think when I decided, what I thought I wanted to do was musical, uh, singing, I thought, okay, maybe I should get like a really strong fundament in this classical singing technique. But then as soon as I came into that route, like you said, with the doors, they just, they opened one by one. Oh, like who's Mozart? <laughs> who's Bach? Strauss? What? Uh, Wagner? Fascinating. Uh, I, I, yeah, it just, it kind of unfolded before my eyes as I was taking music history and first year of my bachelor's and next to these pianists and violin violinists that have been playing Beethoven since they were three years old and didn't really think more about it. And I'm sitting here listening to the ninth symphony for the first time in my bachelor's uh. of music. So, so somehow I just, uh, without sounding super cheesy, it felt like some kind of calling that was like, I was meant to, go down that avenue and discover it at the time where my interest was at a mm. high and where I was maybe receptive to the depth of mm. the music and the depth of the, and also the, the tonal language and the, the dramatic material for sure, because I had a dramatic education and had worked with texts and read plays. And so it just all of a sudden, like, going in to see my first opera as a 19-year-old, seeing that all of these different art forms that I like and are fascinated by met in a medium mm. in one place. And I thought, well, I thought I liked choir music and I thought I liked theater and I thought I liked film music, but here they are all represented in one place. I had no idea. So it just was an in, like inevitability that I had to go down that and find out what what else was there you know so so many things have just come through for me as as i was listening to you share that um firstly a reinforcement that doorways is exactly what what you have been living uh wherever those doors presented themselves the other thing is how you have just created the very best i can imagine celebration of a learner's journey that curiosity that you had oh and with without without personal inhibition to say oh i should know this or oh silly me or where have i been all my life it was it, that and and i watching you go no that just never that just was never a part of it which is just such a beautiful liberation to trust that that fascinates me and there's a moment of wonder and wow and what else and so you find yourself traveling, not immediately upon uh, graduating from, from high school, but but uh, after taking some time and probably playing in that world of what is my calling? And by the way, it doesn't sound cheesy at all. And perhaps we come back to that, how we trust 
our calling and our inner knowing. But you find yourself uh, entering into and studying classical music at the University of Victoria, correct? Yeah. And what, from that time, what was the deep knowing that you were gathering? We don't always think of a bachelor's degree as deep, a place of deep knowing. We're covering curriculum. It's wide, it's expansive, it's wonderful, but... Yeah, it was me sitting there next to the violinist who have been playing Beethoven since I was <laughs> listening to the, the symphonies for the first time. Like, did you know this song? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, but other than that, I was drawn to Victoria kind of in a unexpected way, I guess, because I thought that I would uh, be looking into musical theater. And, and then when I uh, was thinking about that, I was also taking voice lessons and... I had a master class in Edmonton with a visiting opera singer who came to do a class with the graduating students at our high school. And honestly, I can't even remember what I sang. I must have sung an art song by maybe Benjamin Britten, something very, uh, you know, beginner, <laughs> beginner song books for people learning to sing. And um, I just remember um, feeling a connection with this teacher that came in not not a personal connection necessarily yet uh, but uh, a connect I could identify with the language he had and the the interest he had in the material I was interested in the respect he had for the music we were making even you know just with a high school student he's a professional coming in and and working with us I thought uh, just the fact that he took the time to come and see us and hear us and and obviously leave us with with an impression of this music and and that he left really very much his ego aside. It was very much about the material that we were working with, and it didn't matter who you were and where you came from, uh, which was important for me because I didn't come from this world uh, of classical singing. Um, so I think... I was really interested in applying there with him because I just had heard that that he was a really good mentor and good teacher. And I'm glad I did because he opened these new impressions about the music. And I think he also saw a genuine interest from me, which he was willing to share because of course, what you want as a teacher is a student who is willing to come and not a student who's necessarily prepared all the time and, and, well, you also want that, but uh, prepa but but prepared to learn something and prepared to have those conversations and and open up a score of the Matthew Passion by Bach for the first time and say, what is this about? And also not even coming from a religious background. I mean, you know, him telling me that you don't you don't have to believe the story. You don't have to believe the story, but it's a really good story to tell, mm. and from which upon the music and the text meet what a gift that is to add your voice to that as a layer. So he really instilled a sense of respect that the singer's never bigger than the material and the music that you're working with. And I that that really sits with me still. And mm. I think about it even now when I go to do a concert, I think of putting on a big fancy dress and lots of <laughs> jewelry and everything. But I always think, what am I performing? Mm. Am I bigger than Bach? <laughs> Am I bigger than this story that the music is telling? No, and and that that I'm always a kind of a servant to that music, and 
So there were some really important lessons there in Victoria that I learned that still sit with me today that that I maybe aware of it at the time or not really had an impact uh, to what, how I approach the music I do now and the respect with which I come in. And it could be Bach, but it could also be something written by a composer one week ago. So there was something interesting about that school in Victoria. They had a they had a, a focus on the Baroque music because they had a good Baroque community there in Victoria, but they also had a really good composition program uh, where composers, uh, they had like a symposium for, for composers and new works. So I also got to work with new musical ideas and also learn a respect for that. And even when I left Victoria, I could feel that 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 mentorship has yes somehow sat with me, even though it it goes many years uh, between our conversations. But I always feel like it, um, it definitely had an impact on me as an artist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, that sense of impact is clear, and I got the sense that the power of the impact came when somebody who had uh, a reputation as a as a gifted artist and educator was in the room and you felt seen you felt like there was a a connection to a young woman a young you know teenage girl who uh, had a love of music and was unabashedly open to saying what i know is limited but i am here to learn how fortunate for you to be able to make that connection. And there was something else that that I remember you saying um, uh, that Butterfield in, instilled in you. And he may have, even before he left your high school classroom, but it certainly continued on with you. And that was that mantra. Yeah. Preparation meets opportunity. Uh, so it's a kind of sweet spot between you having done all of the work for when that door because that door might come or that might not come. That's the luck. That's the luck of the draw. If that door, that opportunity presents itself, are you prepared to take that opportunity at the time that it comes? It's like this kind of, and that's kind of how these careers work. It's like, are you heard by the right person at the right time singing the thing that's right for you right now where you really can shine through with your experience and technical ability? So it's just this kind of sweet spot of, knowing <laughs> but if i may also acknowledge that you were open to the possibility that that yeah you were willing to do the preparation to learn all that you possibly could but you were also open to the possibility by that point that that the door may come the door may not come but i am there and i am ready and it I have some control here is what I'm hearing you say in um in an industry in a in a, a cultural landscape where a creative landscape where I may not have the luck all the time but it doesn't stop me from doing the work to continue to prepare. Yeah. And does does my commitment and love for the work is that is is all of that able to keep me afloat when there are no doors present? And mm -hmm. does that keep me ready and prepared for when a door will be opened or created? Do you know what I mean? So it, it's also, I definitely thought of that during COVID and mm -hmm. during maternity leave where it all felt, all of a sudden felt like, will I have doors after this 
period of change. And so it is being reaffirmed in the work and the, the process and the purpose of getting up, doing your technical exercises, making sure you're ready for an audition or for a role or for something that day, if someone calls and said, hey, I need something now, uh, are you ready for that? And time has proven that that, that preparation really lays the groundwork for, for those opportunities that come or don't come or come when they come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that we're on we're on a journey and we've got some agency in that and that's really all we've got. And sure, we can ride on reputation for a while, but yeah. it, it isn't going to serve for the long run. So we continue to grow. Yeah, it doesn't give the longevity. Yeah. Longevity. yeah. Now you mentioned... Um, well, firstly, uh, and I think anybody listening is aware because of the introduction uh, that you, that I'm speaking to you and you are in Copenhagen. Yes. And this is home and has been for how long? Oh, my gosh. I almost dare not say. Um, it'll be 11 years in February. Hmm. Wow. And I, I also dare not say but will that there is a story around which is not fully true. <laughs> but about getting to Copenhagen from somewhere else on the continent yeah, by following a boy. Yes. Uh, the he- I believe the headline was, I came for a boy, but I didn't stay for the boy. Uh, <laughs> hey, I was so- young. there's no judgment i what i I just i I love that you love the fact that (laughs) that there's a great story but really you know as you said the headline yeah yeah, exactly so tell me tell me about some of the doors that got you from edmonton to victoria and then to where you are now and why the heck did i stay here (laughs) um i'm glad you asked that uh because i mean yeah i just on a very practical note, my my father being born in Portugal allowed me a very uh, um, easy access card to the continent by having right to Portuguese citizenship, which I was very adamant on getting. As soon as I turned 18, I like set everything in motion to get the citizenship, even though I had no idea what I was doing after my bachelor's in Victoria. I already knew I was going to end up on the continent. Also because education I heard was free and I thought, Oh, in this very precarious art form, I don't want to go years and years into debt, just on a very practical note, you know, that I didn't want to go into debt, work myself to the bone and maybe not have job opportunities afterward. I wasn't interested in in that insecurity. So I knew that in order to have access to that education, I would have to get my citizenship. And that was that was all already finished before I... I was ready to move. And so by the time I was ready to move, that was in order and a lot easier than other people have had the process made. So, so from there, it was really just to figure out where it could make sense for me to go. And so I sent a, spent a summer studying in Salzburg, which is like a Disneyland for a classical musician in the summer because and also a classical musician that loves musicals because it's like, it's the birthplace of Mozart and it's the setting of the movie The Sound of Music. <laughs> so, so already two of my worlds met. Perfect collide. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, it was only a summer, but so cheesy and inspirational and 
I loved it. And and of course, I saw all of the world's most famous opera singers while I was just there in a matter of two weeks and, and saw La Boheme with the great Anna Trebko and um, Elena Garancha singing Luciano Berrio songs, which is like a 20th century composition. And it's just, it's awesome. Uh, with, a, with a new music ensemble. So like anything between like and then also like seeing a really cheesy um sound of music review group like who's probably a bunch of music students that like in their summer vacation they put on dirndls and they sing songs from ah. the sound of music <laughs> ah. um and i stayed in the dormitory the music dormitory is actually the big yellow house from the sound of music which just the inside is just a bunch of student housing, but from the outside is still the house where she where she's and she's going up the lane. I have confidence and everything. So here I am in, in Salzburg uh, and taking lessons with a very renowned teacher and open to new influence and impulses. And one of those impulses uh, was a boy and a singer that that then afterward uh, romantically invited me to move to Copenhagen and then figure out where my next step would be. Um, and that really gave me the opportunity just financially and practically to be on the continent, have a place to live, have a solid ground, and then I'd take lessons. So I just, you know, flew off to Berlin and flew off to Paris and didn't audition here, didn't audition there. It was so easy and not expensive mm. and not complicated. And also I started having lessons and doing auditions in that city, in Copenhagen. And I quickly found jobs to do and mm. teachers that I thought were very interesting and had new th new ears fresh ears fresh things to say uh, to to my voice and to my technique but also were encouraging of what i came with that preparation meets opportunity where they thought well why don't you just audition here <laughs> now that you're here so after a year of studying privately then i came into the academy in copenhagen and then subsequently went to the the opera academy at the royal danish opera where I mean, I was in the opera house and working there and eating in the cafeteria next to the opera singers and having just free passes to go in and see every theater, ballet, opera, like eating it all up. I had mm -hmm. nothing to do but just see all of that for free. Go through the doors. With my student card. Ding, ding, yep. ding. Um, so it was hugely inspirational time for me which yeah, didn't even end until what 2019 because I was like kind of through the education system and here I was working simultaneously as a professional and having access to this education system and this institution where all of this great art and so many great artists were coming through so huge privilege huge gift to be working professionally and studying and and having on a weekly basis material to inspire me so it's a huge hub I, I had no idea that it would be such a huge hub for so many musical styles and like locally and internationally so hmm. I didn't so it feels like perfect for for somebody who has already acknowledged in this conversation that you and again forgive me if this is not what it's it, but there's this beautiful mashup not all in one dish but 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 somebody who loves her musicals as much as her opera as much as her pop perhaps as much as the liturgical and 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 you're in a hub totally the doorways have all brought you here yeah why would yeah. you leave why would i leave and and 
not to mention the yeah so prof professionally okay why would i leave and reestablish a network and really like it's it's that's that's one side of it but also personally it's really hard to get up move somewhere start start over learn a language or two or three understand a culture it's a lot of work it's huge investment so i can definitely say i'm definitely willing to work internationally but i'm i'm not willing to move again internationally because it's 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 been a huge investment and a huge personal sacrifice although it's been a professional gift you know we talked about the word or the concept theme of translation and um to be very clear we're not talking about being lost in translation but living and working in a kind of a translation and not singularly of the language although it, you you just mentioned you know learning multiple languages you are in a hub i presume that you within many of the the contracts that you are engaged in are in rooms rehearsal halls and on stages with multiple languages multiple cultures wonderfully in the blend mm. what what have you discovered um to be more gifts uh of of living in that kind of a of a space of a multilingual multicultural environment creative environment yeah well i think in the beginning i was to throw me in a box with other North Americans, but a bit naive that my English could just help me everywhere and I could just float on by. And that is true in many cases. You can be understood. And for the most part, people speak English at an extremely high level. So on a, on a working level, English is no problem. But as soon as the rehearsal has a break, or is finished and people are gathering their things or going down to the cafeteria to get their lunch or the director's having a private conversation with some of the actors or the singers that are that's also interesting you know um also there's all of a, a sudden things that you want to be able to hear and follow along and keep up with and so i realized really quickly that i can get by working in english but if i want to expand my daily ex like just just to have a better daily experience i need to learn the language of what's going on around here because because and 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 not just have to sit here and stare and then wait and say uh what did she say and what did he say um right. so i i definitely got in the game really quickly in terms of understanding what people were saying so i was very quick to understand uh and and study the language in terms of understanding what people were saying but because I'd never had a second language, a spoken second language, um, as I said, my dad came from Portugal. So I definitely grew up hearing other languages and listening to TV and radio and French in Canada. Uh, but it's another, it takes another part of the brain to speak another language and to construct sentences and understand grammatical structures and, and put thought to words. So that, part took a little bit longer um i'm afraid to say how long because i don't want to deter people from moving to another country and learning another language because they definitely should but danish is seen as one of the hardest second languages to learn 
Uh, and they also say that Danish children are some of the latest to learn how to speak because of how difficult linguistically the language is. Wow. Uh, so at least it gave me a little bit of a grace uh, that, okay, it, it is a difficult language. Um, and I was also surrounded by Swedish and Norwegians that made fun of the Dan Danish language all the time. So I had people I could, I could kind of relate the struggle with. Um, so, but once I started to learn Danish and then learn to understand Swedish and Norwegian, because there's a lot of Scandinavians coming to, to Copenhagen because of the cultural hub, it like, you know, I could, I could understand the jokes and I could understand, uh, you know people asking practical questions about like where can I go for where do I buy a bike where do I how do I get from this place to this place like also very just oh practical information but but also in-depth conversations at the lunch table about how they thought the rehearsal went what did they think about the director and oh do they like the music and so also the the more meaty stuff uh also uh yeah enhanced Day -day yeah, it felt like the language of life is what you just described. Yeah. It was, yeah. there was the language of the art and we can live in that and I can figure my way through that. But the moment that the art takes a break, mm. <laughs> then I'd like to still be in the room. Like, where's yeah. the bathroom? <laughs> like, yeah. there's something, important, important messages that, you know, that kind of just float by you. And, and that can be a really lonely existence if you're just sitting there in the room and everything's kind of floating by you and you don't understand anything so I've definitely experienced that and I experienced it also when I've been working abroad in other places I had a contract once in Sweden where I thought I've learned Danish I I've got this I was the only English speaker in the cast everyone else was Swedish they didn't they they also didn't work in English because they were like oh everyone here understands which so they worked in Swedish and I was just sitting there like the the production day where where the designer comes and the director comes and everyone describes like where they want the production to go and what the characters mean and the music and the relationship and it was a new written opera so I I, I couldn't do any research out of this I was just sitting there like <laughs> I have no idea what my role is I don't know what this opera is about I don't know what I'm supposed to do <laughs> oh, I have this image of being it's it's like the actress nightmare but you've wakened up in a in a in a in a Bergman movie with no subtitles exactly <laughs> threw up very glass darkly yeah <laughs> oh yeah. boy uh, um <laughs> so but those so, are the early years I've got to say that that is not anywhere near my experience now it's just much it's much smoother and much much more exciting uh to follow along and to the point of, of you know as you as we first met before we hit the record button today, you acknowledged I haven't spoken in English, in conversational English in quite a while. So A, no worries. Your English is still there and foundational, but you're living, you're living uh in 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 a now no longer translation, but in in a new tongue. Yeah. And it's funny when I visit Canada once a mm. year or something, uh people in Edmonton where I come from, ask me, where do you come from? They can, we have, you have a little bit of an accent. Is yes, that... you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I get that every day in Denmark. People are like, where are you from? You know, so, so it's, it's also, oh. I've learned the language and I've integrated it as much as possible. And next week I'm doing the citizenship test. So I'm very much like on top of how I integrate professionally and personally. but 
I'm reminded every single day, you come from somewhere. Where do you come from? You're not. Yeah, you're in the doorway still for for others that are on the uh, on one side or the other. And your daughter, is she learning English, Danish, Swedish? English uh, and Danish. English and Danish. But I have to say, it's a struggle to teach her Danish at home, uh, to teach her English at home, because I still struggle with that daily identity of having defend like to defend me as a Canadian being here in Denmark every day just just personally like still trying to assimilate and integrate and speak Danish so I find myself even I will speak Danish with my Danish daughter so it's it's still but so I have to remind myself no 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 I I'm gonna help her if I speak English um Mm -hmm. and it's funny because my dad experienced the same thing when he immigrated from Portugal to Canada he was so set on because uh, he was embarrassed that he came from another place and so he he spoke English at home and spoke English with us and spoke English at school and it's like he 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 kind of uh, left the Portuguese out and of course that's a real shame for me because that would have really given me some tools from an early age and we know that children learning many languages already from a young age does something to the brain and, and the connections um, that it creates and it's very important for their for their mm-hmm. development. So I have to I have to remind myself to drop my ego again and uh, and speak English for her sake uh, as well as mine to keep my. Well, it was an interesting. I heard you say defend defend myself for being from elsewhere, doing the work here. Now you're 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 soon to be a citizen. Uh, Do you in- I pass the test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna just we're just gonna assume the best for you. Yes. And as you as as you think forward into that, might that sense of needing to defend, I mean, once you are Danish, Danish, Canadian, Portuguese, citizen mm-hmm. of the world, mm-hmm. um, do you anticipate that shifting and changing? Or more to the point, what do you anticipate shifting? Mm. I know what I want to shift and I like I know the reasons that I'm taking the Danish citizenship are it's a bit double because I I want to like have that crossed off my list of like that's something I've done I've done the language test and I've done I've been here x amount of years and I've done a second secondary education here and so it's just another thing to kind of cross off the list but I'm also taking it because I want to open the door back to Canada as well. And in order to secure my um, seniority, I think it's called, with the amount of years and time I've studied and lived in Denmark without, without losing those years. If I leave Denmark and come back to Denmark, then it's as if I never lived in Denmark before. So on a very practical level, it's, it's also to open the door back to Canada mm-hmm. for me and my family uh, personally, as well as maybe hopefully one day professionally. Um, there's an interest that I've had because I left Canada as a young person and student that I never really got to figure out, oh, how how is um, the music and opera industry in Canada and how does that work and and how do people how do people work so I never I never got to find out because I've spent all my professional years in Denmark so and I am seeing this incredible powerful umbrella again appear of preparation meets opportunity 
that this is not just about preparing my life as an artist. This is about being intentional about my life and my living and, and the choices that, that I am making in designing yeah. my world. And, and now not only for me, but for the future of my family, which is more than just me now. So I'm interested in giving them that opportunity as my dad gave me that opportunity to become a Portuguese citizenship, to give them back that uh, connection and possibility. And also myself, because as much as I get like confronted with every day here in my life in Denmark that, oh, you're a Canadian in Denmark, I actually get further and further away from that Canadian identity, which I'm so often labeled as and I, I feel that's somehow in a dissonance with with what people are seeing and and asking me daily questions about hmm. I want to shift gears for a minute yes. and um, touch on the idea of and I put air quotes around this perfection I haven't heard Oh, AI. <laughs> that, that's something else. Given what it, we were just talking like about. Some, some weird kind of sign from above. like, But also, like, so, take it seriously, but not too seriously. So so if, if that remains in the recording, I have to explain what just happened. That I happened. must have used my hands in a way that I had taught the Zoom AI master wizard monkey clown and all of a sudden balloons were released hot air balloons <laughs> so like... i will keep my hands down on my desk and behave myself <laughs> and release no more joy into the world um no uh, That's and maybe so that done. is perfection isn't it wonderful uh what wonderful smackdown uh and i and uh, the reason i put those powerful air uh quotes around which is what released those balloons i think uh, was that I, I don't want to label I know that it's been a part of an earlier conversation that you and I have had but I and, and you yourself acknowledge that especially in the world of classical music as perhaps analogous to the world of classical dance that as close to perfection as possible is an ideal that we seek but I'm curious to know how how it's felt at play in your creative journey, and especially in this world of the classical pursuit. Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned in the beginning, I was learning about Mozart and Bach with totally fresh eyes. I think I was also a bit naive uh, to understand that 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 pursuit of executing a perfect Mozart phrase, uh, I, I hadn't understood that that was an inherent part of the art form yet. And I somehow want to say luckily, because I think that that prevents a lot of people from pursuing that music or or feeling access to that music because they, they know that that is an integral part of those forms, that sometimes that perfection often robs the, the joy and creativity, the feeling of creativity. I think sometimes, am I a creative artist? I just reproduce what someone had as a recipe that someone has given to me. How am I, how, what do I add to this? But that's exactly it. What do I add to this completely perfect phrase? Um, and, I, and I think the, the perfection is the one layer 
But then there's the other layer where the artist comes in after having executed technically a perfect phrase, then you then you have to think of things like, okay, what is the text? What is the context? What is the the character, the the mood? Um, all of those things which color the voice and color the instrument, if it's the body, the voice, which makes it completely personal. And nobody will ever sing that phrase of Mozart like you do when you consider all of those things in your own special combination. So I think that's kind of the the maturity of the learning process. It's ah, uh, it's um a hair fine balance. Uh and it it takes so many years and, and from one day to the next it feels different. So it's it's one of these things that makes the work exciting, but also puts you in shackles because it's it still has to be produced in a way that is standardized by all the traditions that come before. So you you can't you can't walk into it without knowing that tradition because then you would somehow miss the point. But but then freeing yourself from the form and the structure by putting what you yourself as the artist knows to be true in this context to create it into something living. I don't know if, I hope that makes mm -hmm. sense. It makes such perfect sense. And, and may I say that it feels like you have a very healthy relationship with the work as it as it is as demanding as it is and you want it to be i clearly see you want it to be that demanding um and 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 yet at the same time it feels more like mastery that you are in pursuit of than perfection that uh that that sense of although you didn't use the words i got the sense that you acknowledge that you get to be in collaboration with the composer even if the composer has been gone physically from this earth for hundreds of years, that you get to meet in that space and honor and acknowledge what the composer's contribution has been without putting them on a pedestal such that you are just simply bowing down and crushing your own ability to contribute. So that there's this beautiful sense of collaboration, not just with the living artists in the room, but and with the living audience you're in preparation for, but with, 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 if you will, the masters who have offered their work to you in this moment. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And also because it's, like I said earlier with with uh, being a pupil of Ben's uh, during my bachelor's, he also taught me this kind of power of collaboration. I love that you talk about this collaboration with the composer because like we have this material. So it here it is. This is what I'm working with. But you're also since when do you hear a classical singer singing alone no they're together with an orchestra they're together with a cellist this this violinist and if you have a conductor or not there's somebody who's who's leading or taking the lead here and there so there's so much give and take happening that although you have to prepare with that perfectionist kind of hat on of just knowing that pitch and the rhythms and all of the the technical elements you have to come into the room the working room open to receive all of these impulses from all of these other instruments and people who come with their own input and that just creates something much larger than the music than you so then then you somehow worry less about being perfect because it's it's not about being perfect it's about 
doing my material right and they're doing their material right but together in conversation they that 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 creates something that that is really interesting for people to hear and that's why people love live performance we're not interested in hearing the perfect maria callis recording and by the way which isn't perfect and so many people recognize isn't perfect and that's why they love it because they love the live quality feeling they get when they put a record on and they feel like they're in the room with her because it's not perfect and it's so important to be reminded in this art form that continues to somehow set Olympic records for what people can do while they're singing uh, acrobatics and singing high notes and all these things, but that, that it's actually not about that. It's not being about being a show pony. It's about what happens in that live performance between the musicians from the music material that we're given and through the audience and in this acoustic space. Oh my goodness. That also changes with where you're performing, like all of these elements create new impulses and new settings, which give new ways to create this music, which we've been creating for hundreds of years. So you think, why am I gonna go in and hear another Handel's Messiah this year? It's because it's a new set of people. It's a new set of voices. It's music I know, but I can hear it in a different way. Like, why do we like to hear cover bands? I wanna know what they're gonna do with this music. Um, so it's a, it's coming back to something that you know and recognize and acknowledge to be fundamental but what can it what can it bring us this time and i think that's that's so exciting i love mm. doing Happy messiah every single year <laughs> and from an audience's perspective and it sounds like from you as artists perspective we get a chance to be in a space where something is happening at a cellular level of exchange scientifically proven <laughs> that is magic and yeah. maybe it isn't magic when we actually begin to look at that science and say that's not magic it just feels so good it feels you know as as my as my 5 year old grandson said about something that he experienced on the weekend and it was just an everyday moment he said oh that feels so satisfying <laughs> You know, out of the mouth of a five-year-old who honors the, the wonder of a moment, the awe of a moment. And this is why we can also go on the same walk in the same stretch of woods on one day and another day or just a small different weather change or a different time of the day or a different time of the year. You notice different details about the same path that you're walking. And it can, and if you're open to that, can can move you in a different way and call forth different feelings and expressions and reactions from you. So it's 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 that feeling. Do you know what I mean? I do. I totally do. <laughs> I think we are attuned here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing that I still. I'm I'm kind of almost surprising myself that I can still pick up the same music every year and just like come at it with this excitement of like oh, how is it going to be this year you know yeah and no. and may it always be so may may the doors continue to open to excitement to the possibility of what's next what's now what's gonna happen when we put this group together with with this particular point of of, of connection 
It's lovely to see you just light up in, uh, in, you know, in the space of realizing the life that you have designed is a life you are loving. And I think it's so important and worth mentioning that these feelings and that, that feeling about the work can easily be forgotten in an industry that is like, that's very pressed, like stressed and stressful being a freelancer, not knowing where your next gig is in a few months time or in a year's time or in a year, year and a half time, that sometimes it's, it's uh, difficult to remember why you're there and why you're doing it. So it's also really nice to have these conversations that reaffirm that feeling of purpose and why you're doing it. So it, so I would challenge myself to, to revisit this conversation because in just in the everyday of like oh what's my schedule today I have to run here run there and oh I have to send an email I have to do an audition there for this there's so many other things that that flood the the career that have nothing to do with the work and I wish mm. it weren't so but they fill a lot of time and they fill a lot of energy and, and you're a mother of a toddler. Yeah, also that. Let's factor that in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but that's that's a gift. That that is, is. that is lovely. It's and and that uh, call to be present and play hmm. <laughs> and experience things with her through her eyes for the first time. I mean, that's. I don't want to say it's, it's easy. All about. That's not easy, but that's that that um it compares nothing somehow to the, the stress of, a, of being a freelance <laughs> classical singer, uh musician trying to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We talked uh briefly, just mentioned, we dropped it in this notion of um uh of, of it's scientific, and I know that yeah. you and I were were briefly talking about um, uh, something I had just come across in reading another book about research that is currently being done around opera, opera training. There's a program uh, out of the UBC. Nancy Hermiston, the director of the opera program, is leading um, a team of researchers in that way. And research is now coming, certainly in North America, is taking on the field of providing data that is saying art is not just a lovely frill, an experience that we should be so grateful to have because it it's icing on the cake and the cherry on the top. And you smiled when I was sharing that because yes, this is true, but you're also living, you're living on a continent where the cultural roots just historically over time and ages and centuries um, is obviously categorically different than, than the North American experience. So in that way, what have you what have you also discovered about you know living in a in a culture where it is not icing on the cake? Um, well, I'm really first of all, I'm just really glad to hear that um, that there are studies being made about it because then there's somehow proof to show <laughs> scientifically that uh, what many people experience and do have some kind of value. Uh, I get a little bit provoked by it in a way because I think obviously it has some value, not because I do it, but I also, I hear from people and feel 
from people that they think and feel and experience that it has value. So I think of, I just shake my head and, well, of course it does. We don't need a scientific study to show that. But that that is also coming from a privileged place where I live in a society where the cultural and the social are very much um, integrated and intertwined. And there is a huge amount of support for the performing arts and fine arts. But I somehow don't hear that conversation here as often as I see it pop up on my North American feeds that people are defending uh, uh, arts um, as, as as something that is, that that gets prioritized less, that it's much more culturally integrated and has been for such a longer time because they have their cultural cultural heritage with their language and their music already uh, integrated into their daily lives. Do, do you know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. A couple of quick questions. What inspires you? I am inspired by the musicians I meet on a day-to-day basis that come with their way of playing and their way of being. And Mm. I'm also inspired by going on long walks in in nature which give me those great moments of pause and perspective Mm. that although the work fills a lot and is important that that there's a greater meaning and depth to everything and and it kind of like reinforces the music that i'm doing somehow playing out in real life that ah this this all relates somehow that that the that the depth in the the music i'm doing has a depth in the world that i meet on a day-to-day basis which can also inspire me to go back to the music and who's this character that i'm playing and what does this text mean and that that it's that there's some kind of interconnectivity that inspires me that to find the connections between the 300 old year music that I'm doing and the song that was written last week or going down to the local baker and having a really good pastry. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And again, beautiful integration of the work and the life and the play and the, and the yeah. possibility. I want to come back to the door for a minute. What's the nature of possibility that you still know is behind a door or many doors that you look forward to opening and walking through and meeting? There are so many roles and and, and musical uh, compositions that I haven't met yet or know that exist that I can't wait but also that that I'm not re- not not ready for that that I'm not in a place where I can sing them right now but I think one thing that's really interesting about this work that I do is that what's right for you right now might not be right in a few years so I think I'm really excited to see where not only the opportunities Come, but what what music might feel right in a few years and what that might say to me with where I'm at 
personally and technically it might not be the thing that i've been singing up to this point i hope and see endless possibilities but i also see uh, new experiences and i'm open for them if they're open for me <laughs> yeah but of course that has to come with preparation meets opportunity and it feels like we've been talking about translation but i'm hearing translation is also transition hmm. Hmm. and that you will be open and ready for whatever is demanded yeah yeah hmm. i want to thank you for for this conversation it's been lovely thank you The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.